You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Welcome to the uh, big show, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Big news day. Uh, elections in Quebec. We are going to cover the Quebec elections. There's going to be a debate on the gun show, the gun controversy. The federal public safety minister, Marco Mendicino, and Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba are in a big fight. Big fight over the federal buyback program. Alberta and other provinces saying, we're not going to do it. So I have an interview with the uh, Marco Mendicino, the Minister of Public Safety. I also uh, talked to the new justice on the Supreme Court, Michelle Obonsawin, who is the first Indigenous member of the Supreme Court of Canada. She's incredible. And I'm going to play that conversation later today. You really have to meet her. You know, most people on the Supreme Court are super stuffy. And you think, oh, God, a Supreme Court justice. Oh, God. I can't. This is the most approachable remarkable person and we you know there's kind of nothing's really off limits except cases in front of the court but she's really incredible so you're going to meet her and you want to meet her because the court's very influential and they don't do interviews very often so you'll meet her and one of the best soldiers in Canadian history a guy named retired Major General Dave Fraser you know the former commander of the NATO forces in the southern coalition troops in Afghanistan in 2006, the first guy that ever commanded U.S. troops since in, in battle since the Second World War will join us on the fact that Ukraine is kicking some Russian ass, and it's great. Now, that doesn't mean this war is over, and it doesn't mean that the Russians might not drop nuclear bombs, and it doesn't mean that the Ukrainians are not paying a high price in blood, and it does not mean the, the battles are vicious, and it does not mean this is a done deal, but it does mean that we are seeing the most remarkable setbacks for Russian forces, the myth of Putin's invulnerability. He is panicking. They are getting pressed back. There is another major loss coming for the Russians in Ukraine, which is great news for democracies and for freedom. And Major General Dave Fraser is going to join us on that. So we've got lots on the program. And I don't know if you watch the um, NFL at all about the Miami Dolphins quarterback and this concussions. I'll ask you about whether you'd let, like, I played football as a kid and rugby and hockey and my son uh, played football, rugby and hockey. And, uh, but at, the, at what point do you say, I just don't want my kid to play football anymore. And I'm a football fan, but is, you know, when you see these concussions, we'll get into that. But I also have some personal news to talk about today. And, you know, look, we have a pretty open back and forth on this program. You know a lot about my life. You know a lot about my wife, Tam. Um, you know a lot about my kids. Uh, we're coming up to a year since my father passed away. And um, I was very open about that on air. And, and, and many of you across this beautiful country of ours were remarkably I mean, your letters meant more to me than you'll ever know. And the text that you send, we, we mix it up every day on the show. We, you, you, you text me at 71010. You call me at 1-855-633-1010. Sometimes we agree. Sometimes we disagree. 
you've yelled at me, we've laughed together, we've shed a few tears together often. We have debated things, but we've always done it respectfully. We've always tried to keep an open mind. There's, I've tried not to have any off-limit subjects, even when I go off on some crazy rant. And the team that has worked here, uh, Chris Viss on the board, and Samantha, who's in Vancouver today, she's off, so Corey's filling in. Uh, Hannah, who, of course, was on this program uh, for so long. And all the, all the managers, you know, Joanna Peter and Graham, who, Graham Richardson, who fills in, and, and, and many of the people, Donnie Coulter, uh, Nick, you know, all the folks all across the country that have been so great. At every station, whether it's CJD in Montreal or in Kelowna or in Windsor or in St. Catharines or in Ottawa, Toronto, wherever we are broadcasting across this, Vancouver, Victoria, uh, London, doesn't matter. We love the audiences and I hear from you. And so it is with a heavy heart that I announced today that I'm going to be leaving um, the station and I've taken a job in New York City to run a, a media company called G zero media. It's part of Eurasia group. They are a political uh, risk and firm that they have a big media company that does a television show on PBS it started by a great guy named Ian Bremer, a really brilliant guy. And they do TV, radio podcasts uh, out of New York city. They have offices around the world. Uh, and I've taken a job there to run that and grow that company and to be part of the management committee of the, the global firm Eurasia Group. And one of the reasons I took the job was not because things at uh, Bell Media, iHeartRadio, or CTV are bad. In fact, I, my relationship here is so good, and I want to thank everybody here. Um, in fact, I'm going to stay inside the CTV family as a special correspondent. And I'm delighted that Richard Gray and... Um, Right up to the top, Mirko Bibich, they've asked me to maintain a relationship, uh, and I will, and I'm delighted to do it. I'm honored to do it. Uh, so for political events and other events around the world, I will be a commentator and still be part of it as a special correspondent. Uh, for Jeff McDonald, who I spoke to this morning, the head of our, our, our radio across the country, I'm really delighted about that. And, but I'll be moving to New York City. Uh, with my wife and you know look i'm an empty nester my 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 kids are in first and second year at mcgill and it was just one of those moments where i got a remarkable opportunity to engage in political events around the world uh, this, is a, this is a group and a team that is deeply engaged in politics and around the world this is a world going absolutely mad this is a world that is in crisis and whether it doesn't matter in Europe and China and Russia and Ukraine and South America here in Canada and the United States. And, and part of this job is to try to make sense of it and to try to make programming to make sense of it that people could actually understand. Because let's be clear, the kind of global elites sometimes talk in a language that none of us understand. And there's a disconnect. And part of the job here is to say, let's understand what's going on so people get an opportunity to share in a world getting better, not worse. Though the crisis don't crush us. So the crises don't hammer us. And this is a great team. And CTV and Bell Media have been a great team doing the very same thing. So I feel that this is very in sync. But I have to tell you that the, the two hours a day that we converse 
across this country when, and you tweet at me or you text me at 71010 or you call me at one 1010 are the best two hours of the day. It's so lively and so authentic and so real. We don't script a lot of it. We like to keep it so we're following our instincts and your passions. We like to get guests that have skin in the game, not not just people that just chat. You know, I like to keep it personal because I because even if I disagree with someone's ideas, I don't disrespect the person. For me, people are precious. Ideas are not precious. Let's debate ideas. Let's kick the crap out of ideas. Let's tear the stuffing out of ideas. Let's see what's inside. I don't mind that. There are no sacred ideas. But their people are sacred. People are precious. I don't kick the stuffing out of people, personally. People are carrying a load of rocks. So I'm, I'm looking forward. You know, my last program here will be Thursday. And I'm off tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday, because it's Yom Kippur, the Jewish high holidays. This is coming up to the time of my father's passing. And so my, I'll be gathering with my mom in Toronto and my brother and sister and our families Um, So I'll be off for two days and I'll be back Thursday, but we've got a great show today. Marco Mendicino's on the other side of a break. We're still going to do what we do. We'll debate. We'll laugh. We'll cry. We'll yell. I've got a bunch of open segments where we can chat, but more than anything, I'm going to tell you this week, I am emotional. I'm not going to lie. I want to say thank you, not just to my CTV Bell Media family. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart, best seven years of my life. But more than anything, thank you to you, the audiences on this program. I cherish every moment we spend together. So let's not waste it. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Holding the politicians and pundits to account. Now more from the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the uh, big show. First of all, as I announced that I'll be leaving, the texts are pouring in at 71010 or, and and I'm going to get to, I am, like, honestly, I'm overwhelmed. Um, And we will talk and I'm going to try to answer them. So leave your name and number. I'll try to answer as many as I can. Uh, You can tweet me at Evan L. Solomon. I'll try to get back to you. I really appreciate it. Believe me, more than you ever, ever, ever know. So thank you. People like Tracy, who just wished me a really nice uh, note, and and Jess, and and all the people who have just texted me. Uh, You know what I'm going to do, though? Uh, Let's do what we really do, is not make this about ourselves and make it about you. Um, Look, a big issue in our country is guns. The liberals have a gun buyback program. Alberta has just said, you know what? We don't want to be part of it. Uh, their um, justice minister, solicitor general, has said we're not going to use funds um, to uh, help the federal government, what they say, confiscate weapons. We're going to challenge it using the law. Saskatchewan and Manitoba are the same. Uh, remember, the feds banned over 100 assault-style rifles uh, and firearms since 2020 of May. The Alberta uh, Justice Minister Tyler Shandro said um, he's not going to be part of it. And Shandro says they're not even going to, um, they don't want the RCMP to waste resources. So I asked that to Marco Mendicino. He's the federal uh, minister of public safety. And I said, what, do you, what is your response to Alberta saying no? He's wrong about all of that. And let's take a step back. 
Assault-style rifles were designed for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to kill people. And they have in Canada, in Port-a-Pic in Truro, Nova Scotia, at the Quebec City Mosque, at Polytechnique in Montreal, and Evan, I've met with those families. I looked them in the eye. There is no way to express the anguish, the loss, the grief that they've felt. And we owe it to them to make sure that it never happens again, which is why the government took the judgment to ban assault-style rifles and why we need to implement the buyback program to get these assault-style rifles out of our communities once and for all. Now, as it relates to the Alberta Solicitor General and his comments, it's a political stunt. He knows full well that the regulate, regulatory powers when it relates to firearms falls squarely within uh, the exclusive jurisdiction of the federal government. But can he, okay, so the, uh, let's just get to the matter of law and then we can get to the substance of the policy in a minute. Just on a matter of law. He's saying that they will challenge it and they have various ways to do it. It's within their right to do that, isn't it? You think they're going to lose, but he's not going a, a behind the law to do it. He has every right to do this, by the way, as is Saskatchewan. So Alberta brought a reference question over 20 years ago in the Supreme Court of Canada held very firmly and has reaffirmed on a number of occasions that when it comes to matters right to regulating firearms, that it falls within the jurisdiction of the federal government to do so. It is reckless for the Alberta Solicitor General to be insinuating that the RCMP will not be uh, enforcing federal law. That's reckless because if he wants to protect communities in Alberta, um, we need to get assault-style rifles out of but our are they, communities. Are they legally obliged to use provincial funds for it? Well, we have an agreement, and one of the things that the agreement says is that when it relates to the RCMP, that the RCMP fall within the jurisdiction, the ex exclusive jurisdiction of the federal government. More importantly, we should be united in getting these guns out of our communities. But that's different than the law. I mean, that's your view, but that's obviously not his view. But here's what else he said, and I want your comment again. Uh, he said, quote, Alberta has been informally advised that the commanding officer of Alberta's RCMP does not support the use of provincial resources to administer the federal government's confiscation program. If this is the case, neither the province nor Alberta's RCMP want police resources taken off the street in order to confiscate firearms. What do you make of this comment that Alberta has been informally advised that the commanding officer of Alberta's RCMP does not support the use of provincial resources? Like, what does that tell you? Does that amount, in your view, to political interference with the independence of the RCMP? Well, first and foremost, uh, applying federal laws, whether it relates to uh, firearms or whether it relates to any offense under the criminal code, is not an a la carte menu. You don't get to opt out and tell the RCMP which laws they're going to enforce or not. That actually undermines public safety. And secondly, I would say that's a question you should be putting uh, to the Alberta Solicitor General, who does not speak for the RCMP commanding unit, because as you know, Evan, it is up to the police uh, to determine who should be investigated and how offenses are to be charged. But, but you don't get to choose which federal laws under the criminal code and under the Firearms Act you apply and which you don't. Does it concern you that the Solicitor General of Alberta is saying that the province is being informally advised about the views of the commanding officer of the RCMP and making policy about that? Does that concern you? It does, and he should not be insinuating or attributing any uh, kind of uh, opting out on the part of the RCMP. So I would be putting that question to the Alberta Solicitor General. It's counterproductive and most importantly, it undermines the fundamental objective which we are set upon, which is to rid our communities of assault-style rifles once and for all. We owe it to the families of the victims with whom I have met 
to make sure this never happens again. And what we have seen in this rhetoric is a step backwards. You know, you want to you want to you want to negotiate. You want to you want to you want to negotiate terms. saying the same thing. I just I, yeah. again we can get to the I, I, well, I'll get to the policy in a minute. Saskatchewan does not support and will not authorize the use of provincially funded resources for any process connected to the federal government's proposed buyback program. It's, can provinces just withhold funding, in your view? Is that in their jurisdiction to say, your program, you fund it, we ain't funding it? Well, look, and the federal government will be there to work with provincial and territorial partners uh, when it comes to uh, addressing public safety priorities. And obviously, we want to have a very constructive discussion about it, but that's not what we're getting from Alberta. And the comment that you made about what he's attributing to the RCMP is a step backwards. It undermines public safety. Okay, let's get to the merits of it. One of the reasons this is so divisive, Alberta doesn't like it, Saskatchewan doesn't like it, and others don't like it, not only because they say law-abiding firearms are, are getting targeted, but violent crime has gone up, and I've just looked at the stats, you know, more than 30% since 2015. We know that. Largely crime is from illegal handguns. I know there's a handgun ban. But that this, the resources and the time on this is the wrong thing. You got the wrong answer to the problem. The problem is illegal guns, and this is not the wrong thing. And you're essentially criminalizing legal firearms owners who aren't part of the violent crime problem. What do you say to that? Well, a couple of things. First, the fact that gun crime and violent crime has gone up is an argument against the status quo, which is precisely what Alberta seems to be arguing for, and frankly, which the federal conservatives have argued for, which would be no, to repeal... It's the type repeal. of guns, it's the, it's the handguns that are causing well, I'm, the... the in, I'm, going to, I'm going to come to that, but I wanted to complete the thought, which is that, and it's precisely what the federal conservatives have proposed to do, which is to repeal a ban of assault rifles, which we think is wrong precisely because of the devastating consequences that have been visited upon communities. But I would also say that Bill C-21, which I introduced last spring, which we're going to work with all parliamentarians to pass, includes a national handgun freeze because handguns are the number one type of gun used in homicides. It will introduce a red flag law protocol to help reduce domestic violence in connection with the presence of guns. And it will also provide higher maximum sentences for organized criminals who would try to terrorize our communities with illegal guns. We need to pass that law. We also need to invest at the border to stop illegal smuggling. Well, we've had and seven years to do it. They're saying you haven't done enough of and that. Me, I know there's a couple hundred million dollars, but it's a drop in the bucket. Well, first of all, it's more than that. It's $321 million to reinforce our borders since last year. And we made a record number of seizures of illegal firearms at the border, which we're going to continue to do. And the real trap and the real flaw... But if it was translating into lower violent crime stats, it might be good, but it's not. It's, violent crime's gone up. From last year to this year, it's gone up over... In the last seven years, it's gone up dramatically. Which is why you can't accept the status quo. And we do owe it to victims. And I think that the real flaw, we, the real flaw in our opponents, our political opponents' uh, argument is that they think it's just about one thing. They think it's just about putting more resources at the border. We're doing that. But you also need smart, sensible laws. That includes banning assault rifles and getting them out of our communities. All right, I've got to leave it there. Uh, Marco Mendicino, Minister Mendicino, great to have you on the program. Thanks, Evan. Okay, I'm going to uh, do texts and calls. What's your take on the buyback program? You think provinces should be able to say no to a federal program? This is federal jurisdiction. Uh, let's talk about it. I know this, this is a passionate subject for a lot of people. 1-855-633-1010 or 7 1-855-633-1010 or 7 And if you just want to shoot the breeze in this kind of crazy time after... Uh, um, I'm telling you, I'm feeling emotional. 
So uh, let's chat about that too. I, again, I love love your text and I appreciate it. I'll read some of those. We can debate politics. We can do whatever you want uh, next. one 1010 Strong views, powerful opinions. The Evan Solomon Show continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Uh, My favorite part of the week when we get to debate something where there's lots of different views. This time, it is about the federal government's gun buyback program. They are going to buy back what they call assault-style weapons. They are going to be illegal. Um, And provinces like Alberta, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan don't like it. They are saying that they're going to challenge it. They are saying they're not going to put provincial resources into it. In fact, the Alberta Justice Minister, a Solicitor General, even went so far as to say he's heard that the RCMP doesn't support it. That's way over the line. Let me let me just tell you straight out. You you can if you're a province, you cannot support this stuff. One eight five five six three three ten ten or seven ten ten. You can say I don't like it. You can say you're opposed to it. You can challenge it in court. But you can be be very darn careful if you're a justice minister or solicitor general and saying, well, we've got informally heard that the RCMP commander doesn't like it. You don't speak for the RCMP. You don't politicize the RCMP. You don't make policy based on some back channel you may have at the RCMP. The RCMP is not your toy. They're independent police force. That is terribly dangerous. That was a mistake. I think Chandra was way off base on that. Now, is he off base to oppose this? That's his purview. Of course he should do that. He doesn't have to like it. He doesn't have to lay down for it. He may not even have to use provincial funds for it. But don't drag the RCMP into this, your political fight. So what's your take on this? one 1010 or 71010. I have so many calls bursting in. By the way, again, many text messages coming in. I'm going to try to get to those as we um, unfold. Um, let me just see. I've got calls coming in. Who do I have here? Bruce Lindsay. Bruce, what's up? Or Bruce in Lindsay. Evan. How about that? You're Bruce in Lindsay. <laughs> Thanks, Evan, for having me. It's, I'm sad to hear that you're leaving us. Uh Quick thing, people don't realize there's three parts of a, being a registered gun owner. There's, there's non-restricted, restricted, and prohibited. And for each step, you have to go through vigorous training, and you have to have background checks and everything else. And when it comes prohibited, you can't even get that license. You have to be grandfathered to own those kind of weapons. True. And I can tell you the biggest question I would like to know is, is it um, Mark Mancino, how many of these weapons, these assault weapons, were registered that these people were using. Like, you, I disagree you're, with you're, you're, First of all, you're asking the exact right question. Many of them are stolen, smuggled. I get it. The liberal point of view, I'm, I'm not defending it, I'm telling you. They think, they look at the U.S., they think availability of guns leads to more gun fatalities. Many of the gun, the anti-gun lobby says the same thing. And they say, we just don't need these assault-style weapons. They will lead to more crime, even though the vast number of crime has been done by smuggling handguns. I get it. And those sta- but you're not wrong on that. I appreciate the call, Bruce. Yep. Go ahead. Go stay on. Sorry, Evan. And another thing is, I, I even heard from our own prime minister that you don't use a handgun or an assault rifle for hunting. 
we don't use them because we're not allowed to. We're not permitted to. So we keep them locked up and we use them at target ranges where we're required to call the police and tell them when we're transporting them. They're so locked up and uh, people don't realize we could like if you're if you have a restricted weapon or prohibited weapon, we pretty much gave up our uh, search. If they want if the police want to come in at any time, they can come in and check to make sure that they're stored properly. If it's like they, we, we gave up our rights already and people don't realize that. Bruce, this is why this is controversial. I appreciate the call. Uh, I got so many calls. Do you mind? I'm going to just I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump to another one. Kevin in Gatineau. What's up, Kev? Maybe Kev, Kev, are you gone? Okay, well, Kev's gone and got no. John in Montreal, what's up? Yeah, wasn't it? Uh, I think they're so uh, two-faced. These liberals. Wasn't it them that took off the uh, added sentence if you committed a crime? You got tacked on 15 years if you committed a crime with a gun. And then they came in and they, uh, that uh, Prime Minister Harper in, uh, instituted when he was in in, uh, in office. Yeah, you, yeah, the gun crimes, um, mandatory minimums for gun crimes and gun crime sentences went up under Harper. That, by the way, has been the same under the Liberals. I, I'm almost a positive. I'm going to go check. But what's your what's your point on that, though, uh, John? Well, uh, they, they see they're just creating an issue that uh, people can uh, support them for, uh, uh, basically in urban areas. It's it's a non-issue, really. Yeah, I appreciate that. In urban areas, this is popular, and this is the and I appreciate the politics. Let's get into the politics because I think you're you're raising a good point. The politics of this are that in urban areas, uh, people like this, um, and. There's the gun, the handgun support. So this this does break along uh, urban rural largely. Not obviously not every person descriptively. Uh, thanks, John. Mark in Niagara. What's up? Do I have Mark, guys? Again. How you doing, Mark? I'm right here. Hi there. Can you hear me? I got you, brother. What's what's cooking? Well, I think this is just again. Obviously, the Liberal government have nothing to speak about that has any substance. Assault weapons have been illegal since the 60s, and they're using the the naivety of regular citizens that are living in downtown Toronto, thinking that these evil automatic weapons are on the street. They haven't been for decades upon decades. And secondly to that, gun owners are the lowest offending people, legal gun owners, that is, that have gone through the course of our entire citizens. So perhaps in order to reduce crime, everybody... Can I ask you a question? I I don't... That's an interesting stat. I don't know that stat. Are you... Legal gun gun owners are the lowest uh, levels of crime. I have no idea where you got that stat. Tell me where you got that. I apologize. I'm in my vehicle right now. I'm 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 not trying to put you on the spot. Sorry. I I I was like, you tell me. But that's an interesting... I've never heard that stat. I, I do have lots of stats in front of me on... On domestic violence and 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 domestic violence, when people are legal gun owners and long gun owners and domestic violence, there is actually a high link there. I have not heard that stat. I'm intrigued by that. I'm going to check it out. A legal gun owner, in order to get licensed, have to have thorough background checks. They have to go through a comprehensive every level to confirm that they have the knowledge and use of that firearm. And the individuals that are 
providing this certification at the course level. It's not on- online. This is a one-on-one where typically many of these instructors are police officers themselves or military individuals, and they scrutinize the individual that's there very thoroughly, yeah. and they have the ability to some degree to vet it. Now, you as a citizen walking down the street don't have that, so you're at a higher risk theoretically and based on the statistics mm. of being a criminal than the individual has gone through the course. Criminal background check is very important well, as well. Uh, listen, and I, this I, is this is very thorough, and mm. everyone is very vetted. It, this is a reason for the liberal government to once again get the headlines, pretend the public has no knowledge, and well, consider uh, being Okay, so, so Mark, I, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, there's lots of people that obviously support what you're saying. They do. Uh, I got 90 seconds. I want to get Emily in here just for one last call. Mark, hang in there. Uh, Emily, what's up? Hi. The statistic actually is less than 1% of licensed firearm owners will be likely to commit any crime, not just a a violent crime. But um, the the Liberal government is really missing the boat here as far as where money should be invested. It should be invested in programs and at-risk communities and education in hope, in community funding, like one-by-one movement and communities for zero violence in Toronto. Um, you know, they're crying out for money to give hope and, uh, and a real future to people who would choose a criminal path because mm. they see that as their only way out. So, you know, all of this money wasted on a very law-abiding demographic is just that, a waste of money. I appreciate the call. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Look, I'm not surprised about our calls. This is such a divisive issue. There are lots of people that are obviously, and and politicians that are supporting uh, buyback or fewer guns and what kind of society they want to live in a society with fewer guns. But as you can see, legal gun owners do not want to feel like they are criminalized. They do not. All right. Now, let's take this to a different level. This is not related. We are going to go to Ukraine. The Ukrainians are fighting the Russians. And they're beating them back in an extraordinary counteroffensive. As Putin is threatening nuclear weapons, retired Major General Dave Fraser is going to give us the latest. You do not want to miss it. Time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Vladimir Putin said it was going to be a three-day operation. Now he's getting his ass kicked. Thank God for the bravery of Ukrainians. Do not underestimate the remarkable support that the NATO alliance has given to the Ukrainians. But it is the Ukrainians who are bleeding and they are pushing the Russians back in a way that is. Look, it's not a done deal. This is a long grinding war ahead. But what is happening is remarkable. And what is revealing about the corruption and disarray of Russia as Putin desperately has declared a referendum. To try to annex regions of Ukraine, total bogus Totally bogus referenda. But he's doing it. He's threatening nuclear attack. He's calling up 300,000 people. He's literally sending people in to battle with no training. It's a meat grinder. And there potentially now are 25,000 Russians that are about to be encircled in another pocket. But you don't need me to explain this. 
retired Major General Dave Fraser will join us. He just dropped. Uh, Chris, can you re- reconnect with him? CTV military analyst and former commander of NATO's Southern Coalition troops in Afghanistan in 2006. And 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 Dave, uh, General Fraser, or Dave, I've known him for 20 years. Um, no one understands battlefield stuff better than Dave Fraser. And so you want to get it from him. We've just, but he he literally just dropped off the line there. Uh, we'll get him back. I'm obsessing about what's happening in the eastern part of Ukraine right now because Russia had just declared that a very strategically important eastern city called Lyman was part of Russia. Then they lost it, and now they're getting pushed back further. We've got uh, retired Major General Dave Fraser. Dave, uh, I've just done a long uh, introduction on your on your history. You know I always thank you for your service and your friendship uh, and your insight, uh, Dave, Major General Fraser, welcome back to the program. Just give us your view as a military person as to what is happening in eastern Ukraine in this counteroffensive. Well, the initiative has gone Russians completely over to the Ukrainians. And because of that, Putin is really trying to uh, his back and he's had this taxation where he's Raise the political rhetoric. He is now fighting NATO. Dave, Dave, hang on, Dave. We can't hear you. This line sucks. Um, I I can't put the listeners to it. Can we reconnect to Dave, uh, Major General Fraser? Um, He's saying such really interesting things, and there's no way we can have our listeners across the country uh, try to decode it like he's still back in Afghanistan at uh, Forward Operating Base, which is what it sounds like. And he's not, by the way. He has been. He's overseen our men and women in combat. The same men and women who are training the Ukrainian troops and have trained them for years, and those Ukrainian troops are now at the front line with Canadian equipment and NATO equipment, and they are doing remarkable things. The myth of Russia as an invincible force. Now, it doesn't mean Russia's going to lose. They have chemical weapons and nuclear weapons. They're calling up. People, so so don't write off the Russians because this is not an easy battle. Many, many Ukrainians are dying. But this is but they are losing now. I think we've got you back, Major General, retired Major General Dave Fraser. Dave, try try again and, and go from the top there. So Ru- uh, Russia is now losing, and the whole momentum has gone over to the Ukrainian side, which is good news for us. The bad news is Putin has now raised the political rhetoric so that he is now fighting. NATO and the United States by annexing these territories and and saying and trying to justify that these this is now NATO and Ukraine fighting Russian territory. He's trying to create a essentially playing chicken with the West and justifying this and including justifying his mobilization. This has gotten far more dangerous than it was, if you can believe, uh, in the last seven months. It's gotten even more dangerous today. Speaking of retired Major General Dave Fraser, Dave, just give us first, I, I, I think you're right, by the way, he's, he's a cornered rat. Just give us on the ground, the Ukrainians, this is a remarkable counteroffensive. What are you, when you're looking at it, they keep encircling thousands of Russians, cutting off, cutting them off from retreat. What are you seeing and why, why is Russia losing so badly right now after winning for seven months? It's it's simply tactics. I mean, the Russians have used inappropriate tactics. They've had no leadership. Ukrainians attacked, uh, did a defensive operation with small people. 
uh, groups of people, which was more effective, uh, destroying lots and lots of tanks from, from top attack. And now the Ukrainians are using tanks, many of which they've captured, in real tank operations that are actually breaking Russian defensive lines and using the mobility and firepower to break through and to attack not just the Russians, but their logistical centers and their supply chains. The Ukrainians have studied how to fight war, and they are winning heads over tails uh, over the Russians who have completely underplayed this and are outclassed by the Ukrainians. What does it tell you about Russia? The, all, for the last 20 years, they have built great equipment, but they have done nothing with their leadership, nothing with their soldiers. They have no NCO Corps, and it has been a, an abject strategic failure, uh, not by a people uh, that are not ready to go and fight war and to prosecute Putin's political aspirations. Absolute failure. What could Putin do? Like, let's say they start losing even more profoundly in these now annexed provinces. And I say that in quotation, they're clearly no one recognizes them, but Russia does in these sham referendums. Could he drop nuclear weapons? Do we take that seriously? We have to take it seriously. It's, it's, he's playing, he's playing uh, chicken with us right now to see whether or not that we blink. I suspect the back channels are just absolutely on fire to tell him he can't do this, but Putin is a fighter. He's not going to give up, and we got to take these threats seriously. So the first thing I think we're going to see is a lot of leadership changes in the Russian uh, structure. We've already seen the logistics leader gone, but he's going to keep changing people until he finds somebody that can actually start winning on the battlefield. He's going to push more and more soldiers in uh, just to try to stem the, the, the bleeding on his side. But at the same time, politically, we've got to be careful that he doesn't actually try to save himself by actually using nuclear as the last straw. Dave, um, what do you watch? I, I got a minute here. What are you watching for in the next couple of days? I'm watching for, again, on the Ukrainian side, can they exploit uh, the actions in the Northeast and, and try to encircle and create even more political gain for their country? I'm watching the Russians start to change leadership on their side. Uh, try to accelerate the push of soldiers in there. And uh, most of all, uh, what rhetoric is Putin going to be saying as this is all going on? This is a crazy time. Uh, I, this, the Ukraine, by the way, the Ukrainians have, have, have destroyed the Russian invincibility myth. Even their Russian allies like China must be wondering, the hell have we back? This is a folly, and it's going to get worse. Uh, retired Major General Dave Fraser. Dave, thanks, brother. Uh, lots You and I have lots to chat about in the future. I love having you on the program. Thanks for making time. Always, always a pleasure. Thanks, Evan. That's Dave Fraser. Uh, boy, did he serve our country well. Massive concussion issues in sports. Would you let your kids, or would you keep playing contact sports like football? We get into that next. Listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is the Evan Solomon Show. Welcome back to the Big Show, everybody. Get your fingers dialing one eight five five six three three ten ten or seven ten ten. I don't know if you're 
you may not be an NFL fan or a CFL fan, but I'm sure you played sports, your kids play sports, and what kind of sport? Now, when I grew up, I played a little football uh, in the city of Toronto, uh, rugby. Uh, my son played hockey and football. Uh, he played last year on his football team and rugby team. My daughter played ringette. Um, I love the NFL. But when I saw the Miami Dolphins quarterback uh, two weeks ago, the weekend last, to a tongue of Iola, when he was playing um, against the Bills, who, by the way, won yesterday on the September 25th, and he was knocked out. And he got up and he was like clearly wobbly, like he couldn't stand. He, he collapsed. You knew he had cognitive failure there. He couldn't walk. You got to pull the guy. You know, when, when we coach in Hockey Canada, if we saw a kid like, you're done. You don't need a doctor. You don't need a, like, you have a kid that try, that gets their head dinged and then they get up and then they're like, oh, and then they collect. They're gone. They're done. They're, that's it. You go to the hospital. Not the NFL. Not Tua. And this is the crazy thing. Never touches his back. Holds his helmet. Can't walk. But then afterwards, they put him back in the game after an independent doctor, since been fired, by the way, said, no, nah, he's fine. Tua kind of says, I hit my back. Listen. I kind of hit, hit my back and kind of, you know, kind of hurt. And then I got up and then that's kind of like why I stumbled. My back kind of locked up on me. Um, but for the most part, you know, um, I'm good past whatever concussion protocol uh, they had. So I'm good. Yeah. We should definitely listen to the players like Tua, who has had two hard years in the league, is finally having a good season, has a great team around him, but is desperate to prove he's worth. And like, what do all players want to do, folks? They want to play. Of course they want to play. Put me in, coach. They don't care. They're not the ones you, yeah, uh, you hurt your back? Why didn't you touch your back? Nobody who hurts their back wobbles like that. Your back doesn't lock up like that. It was so clearly cognitive, as every single doctor has since said, except the moron that let him go back in the game. And then the next game, not even a Thursday night game, so not, so he plays Sunday and then he plays Thursday, and he's playing against the Bengals, and a linebacker throws him and ragdolls Tua to the ground, and he bangs his head, and then his fingers lock up. Like, he's hit on the same place as the head. When you look at it, his fingers go into this. He's lying basically unconscious on the ground, it looks like, and his hands are doing these strange movements, like claw-like. He's clearly neurologically damaged at this point. And then the coach, my, oh, I would never put him in danger, says this was an emotional moment watching his quarterback, who clearly had a concussion five days earlier, sticks him back in the game and says this. That was an emotional moment. Um, that is not part of the deal that anyone signs up for, even though you, you know it's a possibility in, in football. But it is part of the deal, coach. Because you stuck him back in there. And you cannot say, coach, you cannot say, oh, the doctors cleared him. Because you've got two eyes, coach. You've got a brain, coach. You're the 
veto of last resort coach. Your job is to protect your, your, your player's coach, but you didn't. You protected the money. You know it. Dave in Oakville, what does this tell you about these sports, if anything? Hey, Evan, uh, you know, I, when, there, when there was all this talk about it, I was much like, you know, man up, suck it up, get back in there. But then I saw that movie Concussion about uh, Dr. Bennett Omelu, the uh, pathologist. Yeah, great movie. Who, who studied all of this. And you realize that it's not all about the big hit in the game. It's, it's also the thousands of hits to the head that a young kid takes playing in Pop Warner, high school, university, and then NFL. So these guys have all had their bell rung hundreds, if not thousands of times. And then you get the one big one, uh, and that can set off all the others. So, would, you let, would you let your kid play? Like, I let my kid play. I'm just going to say, I was worried about it, but I let my kid play. Would you? Yeah, I did. I did because I know, like, now there's not so much uh, stick block, and it's not about putting your head into the guy's numbers or going head-to-head. So that's kind of been taken out of the game. And if it's out of the game, then it's out of the practice, too. So, yes, I, I have and I did let my kid play. Uh, he, he just quit, though. He said, Dad, I don't like running laps. <laughs> I, want, I want to hit people. Yeah. I appreciate the call. I pre- I'll tell you what, what bugs me. I'll tell you what bugs me. I get these people have played millions of dollars and it's a dangerous sport. And that's one of the reasons why people watch it. They are doing things you and I would not do. And there's a transactional bet. You pay me millions of dollars and I will put myself in harm's way. Formula One drivers do it too. They know it. They know that this could hurt them Fatally, but they do it because they're getting paid millions of dollars and they love it. They probably would do it if they weren't paid millions of dollars. But that doesn't. So, yeah, you're playing football. You're going to get hit in the head. You're probably going to get a concussion. Your knees are going to get shot. Your back may get shot. I get it. You could die in Formula One. I get it. And that's part of the reality. You've accepted that when you play. But that does not excuse the reckless, irresponsible greed that when a person like Tua Tungaviola, a 23-year-old quarterback with a great future, is clearly hit and clearly hurt, and there are already protocols, and we know about concussions. Dave, our caller, was exactly right. And they stick him back in the game, and then five days later, he's stretched off like that, obviously. That is not part of the deal. That's greed. That's recklessness. That's I, I, I coach at a very minor hockey league level. You just wouldn't do that to your own kid. And if you wouldn't do it to your own kid, why would you do it to someone else's, no matter how much they're getting paid? Pull that guy off the field. And the consequence of that is people don't like the sport. I think football's a great sport. I think hockey's a great sport. I think kids learn a lot. on con- It's scary. The first time you play football and you get a hit, the first time you play contact hockey, it is scary. New world. You learn a lot, though. I have no problem with that. But for 
God's sakes, take the crap out. That's why I was against, look, when I grew up, did I like fighting? Yeah. Did I like to watch it? Yeah. Was I into the Don Cherry world? Yeah. Do I think now after coaching hockey, do you think I wanted my kids to that I coached to chuck the knuckles no matter how much? They, no, because it's stupid. It's pointless. It's injury prone. It has nothing to do with the sport. And I changed my view. That view is wrong. Suck it up, buttercup view. You got your bell rung. Get the smelling salts. Get back out there. That is wrong. It's wrong medically. It's it's dangerous. It has nothing to do with sport. It has to do with some ancient world of machismo that ends up hurting young men and women who play sports. And we can and should be better. It doesn't hurt the sport. This is, in my view, in my view, letting Tua Tonga Viola out there is not only a form of abuse, because it is, it shows, it sends a message to parents, be careful. This sport at the highest level condones that kind of abuse. And let me tell you, everybody who coaches football or I go, well, yeah, they suck it up in the, in the NFL. You should too. That is the wrong message. And, I've, and kids are going to get hurt and some kids are going to die because of it. That is the straight up truth. Now, the NFL fired this guy, and they're going to change it, and the NFL Players Association is on it. Thank goodness, because that was a terrible mistake. All right, uh, they're going to the polls in Quebec tomorrow. I want to get to that. Big alert, rather, not tomorrow, today. There's an election in Quebec today. Tom Mulcair is going to drop by. There's going to be a big win for Legault, but who comes in second is the question. Time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Election Day in Quebec. To our CJAD listeners, get out there and vote. Now look, there. I don't think there's going to be a big surprise. The incumbent is going to win. That's the, the polls have said that Legault is going to win. The CAC is going to win. Coalition, the Coalition Avenir Quebec, they're polling like close to 40%. So probably a huge win. And what does that say? Who's in second, though, is consequential and why this matters to the rest of the country uh, matters. And what does turnout tell you? What do federal leaders take from this? Uh, Tom Mulcair, a CTV political analyst, former NDP leader, joins us now. He's watching it closely, my dear friend Tom Mulcair. Hello, sir. Well, hello, Evan. Hey, let me start off by saying uh, congrats on this new gig. I think you're going to have far too much fun, and we're all expecting to get invited to come and see you sometime when you're in your new job. Yeah, uh, you know what's funny? Thanks, Tom. Um, You know, moving to New York uh, is a big deal, and it's really amazing how many more people seem to want to visit in New York than here in Ottawa. I'm really surprised, Tom. It's funny funny how that works out. Yeah, you know, so I'm just looking at real estate prices, and everyone's like, you know, hey, it's uh, what weekend is good for you? I know, thanks, Tom. It's going to be great. Obviously, I've been talking to the audience today, and uh, obviously, it's very emotional. We've got great connections. I know we're going to have the war room on Thursday this week. Yeah, we're going to move uh, it fast. Yeah, to your because, last show. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a, a great thing. Uh, but let's get to Quebec because the news. Yes. Uh, what should we know about this election, Tom Mulcair? 
that the first past the post system that we have federally and in the provinces is well adapted to a two-party system, maybe a three-party system. But when you've got four opposition parties splitting the vote almost perfectly, you will wind up with some unfair results. So you remember we went through this in 2015 with Justin Trudeau. I'm going to change the the unfair first-past-the-post system. Of course, once he realized its charms, because it gave him an absolute majority with 30-some-odd percent of the vote, he didn't want to change it anymore. Exact same scenario with Legault, who actually went through a very formal signing ceremony with the other opposition leaders and he swore up and down that he was going to change this system and they actually signed this really cool looking document of course the minute he got 100 percent of the power with 37.4 percent of the vote he also discovered the charms of the first past the post system and wouldn't change it so what you have the the most recent polling has the cac which you have to work hard to come up with a name as bad as the CAC, but that is the name of Francois Legault's party. And, and it's working. And it's working because uh, the joke doesn't work in French. Uh, but he, he actually has more like 35, 36%, a little bit below what he had in the, the last election, according to the most recent polls, which basically means this. Almost two-thirds of Quebecers want somebody other than Francois Legault, but tomorrow they're going to get, in all likelihood, Francois Legault. Uh, because that's the way that it breaks down. If you've got 30-some-odd percent and the highest uh, one of your opponents is in the 16-17 range, which is pretty well uh, identical for all four of them, then you're going to win all the seats. There are actually The Liberals have an effective vote. It's quite efficient. Their vote's concentrated in Montreal and indeed in the western half of Montreal. So that gives them a bunch of seats. So it's almost guaranteed. Um, whereas the Parti uh, Québécois, which is resurgent, it had a very good young leader this time around who's been all in all, a pretty darn good job. You don't have to agree with his politics to realize right. he's a good politician. Yeah, uh, he he's going to probably get somewhere in the fifteen sixteen range, but maybe one or two seats. Same thing with the, the Conservative Party, which we hadn't heard from in Quebec in a hundred years, literally a hundred years. And it looks like he might get fifteen sixteen percent of the vote and maybe one or two seats. So that's the way this thing breaks down. You were saying, you know, are people coming out to vote? It's interesting. I think a lot of people who would in the past maybe voted liberal, they were pretty discouraged, especially immigrants. But then all of a sudden, you know, the attacks started. And there's sort of, I was picking this up more and more. It was, well, I'm going out to vote. It doesn't matter if, you know, it'll at least change the percentage. So I think it galvanized a lot of the voters, Evan, to, to get them out to vote. Those recent attacks by the immigration minister, you might recall, who said that immigrants don't work and they never learn French. And they it's also unbelievable. Unbelievable, that stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, it, it is unbelievable. But Legault himself has been doing yeah, it. I know. With, it's well, with, of, it, with good reason. <laughs> I know, but, you know, like, what is happening when that is connecting? And politicians shamelessly trade on that kind of stuff that's a poison river well it's the guy down where you're going to live it's the guy with the orange face i mean he you know he realized that th this would really connect with a lot of people and this is something that legos figured out although this time around it's it's quite interesting there's been really good pushback not only from the liberals but you know quebec Solidaire, that left-leaning sovereignist party but uh, definitely far more poised on the left uh, than any of the other parties and and frankly, any other party in Canada. And uh, they're, uh, you know, they're going gangbusters. They're, they'll probably get 15 or 16 percent of the vote. Uh, and, crazy. But they'll probably get they'll probably get uh, quite a few more seats because they're be they're better represented in Montreal he, on the eastern half. Tom O'Care, if you were still in federal politics, if you're sitting around the table as a liberal or as a yeah. conservative or as an M yeah. NDP, what yeah. are you taking from what's happening in Quebec for each of them? 
I think that what you're taking away is that this is a live wire issue that might have played its way, it played itself out. And people are looking for leadership on rights issues. They're fed up with having somebody be able to stand there and say, and this is what Legault did, equate immigrants with, with violence and extremism. You remember that statement, going, you know, playing divisive politics with the English-speaking community of Quebec. His Bill 96 takes away equality of English and French before the courts, that sort of thing. I think it's played itself out here. And I think that people are ready to see somebody stand up strongly and defend rights across the country, because how can you have a country if you don't have the same rights from coast to coast to coast? If you're Pierre Polyev, if you're, do you think, okay, look at the go. The guy had the strongest response ever to the pandemic. This guy yep. had curfews. This yep. guy yep. was an absolute Roundly iron fist. Yeah. And yet, he's going to romp to victory. Hey, uh, same, thing as, same thing as Ford, yeah. Same thing as well, Ford. So what do you that... take away on that, on, from this kind of uh, freedom element that, he, that Mr. Polyev has, frankly, riding high in the polls on? Well, this was interesting, because uh, when he was out there the first time, the first time out, Charest, of course, said that he was against Bill uh, 21 and he was going to fight it. So Bill 21 is a law that openly discriminates against minorities, religious minorities generally, and Muslim women in particular. Uh, interestingly enough, so most of the Quebec caucus was with, uh, was with Charest. And then there was one guy uh, named uh, Pierre uh, Paulus, who has become the Quebec lieutenant because he was the only one who supported Poilievre. And he announced that he was going to support Poilievre because Poilievre said he was in favor of Bill 21. But lo and behold, as his campaign rolled out, he completely changed his mind. And it was an interesting and I think quite revealing thing about Poilievre, because it became an essential question of rights. The, there was that famous case up, up in your neck of the woods. I mean, up in the, you know, the western part of Quebec, where the young woman lost her job as a teacher because she was wearing a job. Yeah. And, and then that just one of those, uh, you know, 550 volt electric shocks. Everybody says, really, we have a law in Canada that does that? And so I think that Poiliev has shown that he's got the ability to mature into these questions. And uh, and I'm not sure he, I don't think he's going to be going, um, you know, full hog trying to, trying to, to play that sort of divisive politics. It's going to be quite a night. I hope you've got your coffee oh, yeah. pot brewing. Look, I don't think there's going to be a I big got two, surprise. I got two coffee pots. One to make it through the night, and then I got to be back in studio at, at well before dawn tomorrow morning at CJD, right. uh, having fun with uh, my friend Andrew Carter, and then uh, the rest of the team, all the rest uh, and, of the morning. And, so and Andrew Carter, what a great guy. Uh, CJD morning man, Andrew Carter. Uh, let me just get my my bet. My only prediction is it's not just coffee that you're using. I'm just saying. <laughs> Just kidding. Just we'll bring the good stuff to New York when we come and visit. Bring it. You can't. You can't. It's all illegal. The good stuff's illegal. Uh, Tom, you know, on the other side of the break, I had this conversation with the new Supreme Court Justice, uh, Michelle Bonsuin. She's the first yes. indigenous. So she's a remarkable person. So we're going to play that next. Uh, Tom, you are just fantastic. I really appreciate your well, insight. Where are you? But boy, are we ever going to miss you. I hope you come back once in a while. Yeah, I'll be, uh, look, I'll still be part of the CTV family as a special correspondent. But you and I will chat again on Thursday. Tremendous. We'll probably chat on Power Play tonight as well. So that's Tom Mulcair, Supreme Court Justice Michelle Michelle Obanswin, unique interview next. You don't want to miss it.
strong views, powerful opinions. The Evan Solomon Show continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. She's Canada's first Indigenous Supreme Court justice. So she's made history, Michelle Obonsuin. She's only been on the bench for one month, and I had the uh, opportunity to speak to Justice Obonsuin, who's an Abenaki member of the Adenak First Nation, five years as a judge on the Ontario Supreme Court, taught law at the University of Ottawa, served as general counsel in the Royal Ottawa Healthcare Group. Now she's on the bench. Now, when she was interviewed in August by politicians, she said something that was really interesting. She said, I'm a judge first, an Indigenous person and a mother and a Franco-Ontarian second. And I asked her straight up, I said, Justice Obonsuin, you know, this has been a remarkable rise. Did you intentionally say you're a judge first? Because some people might think you're going to be some kind of activist. Absolutely, because I think what's important for people to know is judges on our court, we're impartial. And the question is, well, is she going to be biased because she's an Indigenous person when it comes to Indigenous matters that'll come before the court? So I was, I guess I would say strategic when I answered the question to say that I'm a judge first because I am impartial. But as the first Indigenous judge to be named to the court, I think it's important for for those to understand that I have my own background that's relevant to me as a Franco-Ontarian and Indigenous uh, woman, and uh, I bring that view to the court that is unique, right? But but it's interesting that you ha- you wanted to send that signal. Was there or or is there any perceived pressure as a first? Your colleague, we have a first person of color on the bench as well. Is there any perceived pressure that now you represent a certain community, now you have to represent, and to kind of cross that line into, I don't know, almost an activist position? Well, of course, I think it's always a question, is she going to be uh, our spokesperson on the bench? That's one of the issues that everyone's talking about. What I could say is I'm going to do the best that I can with regard to the files that are brought to the court. Uh, I do fall under a microscope as being one of the first, mm. but at the end of the day, I'm impartial and I'm going to base my decision on what's presented. Is it also a bit? Is it a bit awkward that you even get asked these questions? I, I frankly, because it's like, oh, you didn't ask the person of Irish background yeah. if they're. <laughs> no, I mean it. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, why do I have to answer? Like, make sure that I have to strategically say my biases won't um, in any way distort the views, but. You didn't ask him that. Is that part of the problem? Oh, absolutely. I think so. Because at the end of the day, if you're uh, a man sitting on a case where it involves women's rights, is there a bias on that front, right? right? So, of course, that's a question that has to be asked. What is the biggest challenge? I mean, the Supreme Court is kind of this awesome institution. People are kind of nervous of it. I mean, people are nervous to speak to you now, right? (laughs) They're probably like, oh, gosh, now she's a Supreme Court justice. What's the biggest challenge facing the court? I think access to justice is always something that's out there. I think hopefully there's been an evolution because of the pandemic. So now that we have electronic means to hook into the court, I'm hoping that's better. One of the challenges we face in every court level are self-represented litigants because it's difficult for them and for us to, to deal with those types of issues. The other issue for the court, and this goes back to when Beverly McLaughlin was the, uh, was the chief, 
is the politicization of courts. You see it in the states all the time. How concerned are you about the politicization of the courts that, you know, that the people are, are confused that the courts are going to start bleeding into areas w which is really um, the jurisdiction of elected politicians? I, and I said this during my question period, we have totally separate roles. We're not like other countries. We're unique. We have a system that was put in place in 2016 for the election or for the nomination of the different candidates. So it's not uh, a party-based uh, type of uh, nomination that comes through. So I think we're quite different from the others. And I, I don't think that's our role. Uh, let the politicians do their job and we'll do ours. I know, although you see the politicization of the Bank of Canada, like this is happening now. You are, the court is fodder for political debate, in which I guess it's not bad that the court's decisions are debated. Yeah, at the end of the day, we're independent, and I, I would definitely say we don't fall in the realm that, as you see in other countries. One of the issues that you've talked about is um, over-incarceration rates of Indigenous Canadians, of uh, people of colour, mm -hmm. uh, black Canadians specifically. What is at the core of that? Like, when you've looked at this, you've, you've been in the legal system, is it straight-up systemic institutionalized racism? I think there's a mix of different things. I think there are society issues that come into play. You have all the impact of an in, uh, intergenerational uh, trauma caused by residential schools. So there are social issues related to that. And uh, that's led to really high numbers of incarceration of Indigenous people. We're less than 5% of the population, but when you look right. At uh, Dr. Zinger's uh, last report, I think uh, women, Indigenous women, were close to 50% yeah. and men over 30. So it's ridiculous to be such a small part of society but be such a large number in the incarceration rates. Dr. Zinger, of course, our sort of prison watchdog that does the studies That's on that. Right. I, I, there's a concept that a lot of Canadians may not be familiar with, some will be, but you said you're a strong proponent of talking about the GLADU principles, which means taking into account the backgrounds of Indigenous peoples and personal backgrounds. Uh, in terms of their incarceration rates. Why is that so important and how does that function? Well, I think it's really important. So it was a, an amendment brought in by the government of Canada in response to the high incarceration rates in the mid-90s. And um, unfortunately, the courts haven't always been consistent on how to apply these. So when an Indigenous person comes up for sentencing, the trial judge is supposed to consider the individual background of the individual. So unfortunately, at times, it's not a consistent use, and we've seen that by the Supreme Court of Canada decisions and Gladue and Ipila that came out afterwards that said, um, trial judges, we're not doing a, a good job. We have to do better and really use 718 2E of the criminal code better. So I'm hoping there's going to be an improvement. The more that I and others talk about the need for judges to be cognizant of that. The, the, now, part of your background is on mental health. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a big discussion about mental health going on. But when it comes to crimes, how does the system balance mental health? Because you know there's a criticism where culpability is now, you didn't really do it, you're just, you had a mental health issue, so we're going to let you out on parole. You, and so there's a, some criticism that views that as a, quote, soft on crime and hard on victims. How do we account for a mental health crisis but still make people responsible for actions that they've taken? I think that's why we created the forensic mental health system. So when you have someone who's been found 
um, not criminally responsible, unfit to stand trial, they go in a parallel system called forensic mental health, which is different from what we see in the regular incarceration with the parole board. So you have a review board that looks at what kind of privileges these individuals should get. Because sometimes uh, what people don't realize is when you've been found in CR, you could be in the forensic mental health system much longer than if you did a right. sentence of two years less a day. And it's all about improving their mental health so that they're not a risk to right. society and to themselves. Right. And not criminally responsible NCR. You're speaking in acronyms. I just got to make sure I'm translating. Oh, sorry. Uh, Justice, just before I let you go, I mean, this is a daunting task. You're, uh, you mentioned this in, your, your, uh, in front of Parliament. You're a mom. You've got a life. <laughs> How are you handling uh, the ascension to the court, the historic pressures, the amount of work that you probably are taking on? Uh, is it a daunting task? It is, but I have to say I've been quite fortunate. My, my family's been very supportive all along. I did my PhD while sitting as a full-time judge, right. so I'm good at juggling uh, a schedule. So, yeah. And I don't sleep a lot. She does not sleep a lot. That is Justice Michelle Obonsawin. She is your new Supreme Court Justice. Just good to get to know her, right? So personable, so open, so... I mean, just deeply impressive and looking forward to reading her judgments. Um, all right. Um, because I have uh, announced I'll be switching, this will be my last week on air, and, I, and I'm away for Yom Kippur tomorrow, uh, I'm just going to read some notes, and we can chat about job changes and career. When you make a big change and what it's like, one 1010 and 71010. Changing it up. Authentic voices, real conversations. This is The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back. It is a very tricky thing to decide to make a big change. And as you know, it was announced today that I'm going to be, um, at the end of this week, leaving CTV. I'll still be part of the family as a special correspondent. And I'm going to save some sentimental goodbyes to all the incredible people I've worked with. Um, Chris Viss, who's on the board right now, and Tony, and um, Samantha, Corey, like who, you know, God, Hannah. There's a long list of people that, you know, this is not the Academy Awards. But you know how you work with people, they become friends. And you have a community. And I love my home. My, my kids were raised in Ottawa. And we've decided to decamp to New York City. This is going to be a really unique opportunity to work at G0 and Eurasia Group. Obviously, I have an incredibly um, close relationship with CTV, and I am more than grateful for the people I've worked with and the teams and, and that I'm remaining part of this family. But what is it? Like, it's a big thing to make a change. For me, this was an opportunity. I, you know, my kids are now at university, first and second year. We're empty nesters. We've got tons of energy and, and, you know, there's a lot of sentimentality and, and people who have been texting me at 7, 10, 10 are just sending me great messages. I will not be on air tomorrow just for the record in Wednesday because it's Yom Kippur. I'm going to travel to Toronto to be with my mom. Uh, obviously we lost my dad in the last year. So it's a, it's a special time right around this time. We're thinking about my dad and, and um, it's a big deal, but 
if you have made a big job change, like what are your factors, especially when you're leaving one job you love for, frankly, a, a new job where you're excited and you're nervous about it? I, I really, you know, I'm looking forward to working with new people. But man, you know, I, this is a t- t- tough thing. Have you ever moved cities? Let me know what you think. one 633 or 71010 or what you hope this show still has. You know, like we've been together for many years on this program. And we have been chewing on the fat, shooting the breeze. You, you name whatever you want to call it. And, and I love your comments. Good, bad. Like, go for it. Now, now, we could talk about anything. You can ask me any question you want about this, one 633 1010 or 710-10, about the job, about the move, about CTV, whatever you want to know. Evan, congrats. Best wishes to you and your family. Your new adventure sounds great. Canada will miss you, says Dorothy. Dorothy, thank you. Evan, wishing you and the family an easy fast, because we fast on Yom Kippur. Uh, I hope you're inscribed in the Book of Life. I hope many people who are sick are inscribed. Uh, we'll miss you dearly. Uh, I've listened to you daily on the radio and I wish you the utmost success, says Sharon, um, from 12 to 2 Eastern. Best of luck, Ev. You're one of the good ones. Objective, not afraid to ask tough questions. Big shoes to fill, says Brandon in Orleans. Thanks, Brandon. Just love this, honestly. Um, not because very rarely do we ever get anything nice said about ourselves. You know, that's sometimes it's just like, hey, good riddance, which I get. Sad to see her, the news says, uh, Beth. I look forward to your broadcast every day. You got me through the first month of a tough year. I can't thank you enough. I'll miss you. Wishing you and your family the best. Thanks, Beth, in Oldfield. Karen says, I'll be missed. Thanks. Have you ever had a move? Uh, Tori sending me a nice note. Tori, I'm just trying to acknowledge these. Tori, thank you. I'm not trying to sort of uh, pat myself on the back here. Tori sent me a really nice note. Um, thank you so much. Dylan. Now Dylan sent me something. Dylan, I'm going to read your note. Evan, congrats on the new job. You are a liberal, but you've always been fair to me and people on the right, which is much appreciated. There's, there was even more than I thought we might get a chance. Best of luck. Yeah, I've tried to be, I, I don't think I'm a liberal. I'm a nonpartisan, uh, Dylan. And I know people will say, but wait, doesn't Jerry Butts work at this new? Yes, he does. But John Baird, the foreign affairs minister under Stephen Harper, is a senior advisor as well. He's also Pierre Polyev's campaign co-chair. So, you know, this is a nonpartisan. I, I try to call balls and strikes, but listen, I, I'll take that, Dylan. I appreciate that. I, you know, uh, I really will. But look, there's going to, the family on News Talk 1010 in Toronto or CJAD in Montreal or CFRA in Ottawa or wherever uh, is a great family. And, and there'll be incredible voices out there. Matt says, Evan, don't leave. Who am I going to rant to and yell at every 15 minutes of the show? Says Matt, Matt, call me. I'm still going to be around as a, as a special correspondent. You can just call me right now. Uh, I've got a, a Roger Federer fan. Good luck in the Big Apple. Oh, man, Roger Federer. There you go. Now, I'm not hanging it up like Federer. The body's still going. Um, so, so someone just said this to me. Uh, Evan, congratulations. We did the same thing. We were newly empty nesters. My husband accepted an opportunity in New York. We spent four years there, somewhat complicated by COVID, was magical nonetheless. Wow. Thank you. Uh, send me tips at uh, 71010. I have no idea about that. Chad Murray sent me a really nice thing. I really appreciate it, Chad. You know, I, I will say this. 
Oh, wait, let's go Sonia. Sonia's on the line. How you doing, Sonia? Hey, Phil, Devin. Welcome yeah, to hello. the show. What's up, Sonia? Oh, thank you. Uh, well, I just want to um, give my uh, all my best regards to you and Tam. Tam and Tam. Tam and Tam. I, I, I love the way you talk about, uh, speak about your family and how much uh, you have uh, been such a great father and a great spouse to your family. It's all about family. Oh, I will yeah. miss you very, very much. But um, just remember that uh, I'll always be thinking about you. And all the best, all the best regards. Say hi to New York City. I love New York City. You're the best, Sonia. Awesome. Thank you. And it's all about oh. family. And this has been a great family, Sonia. This has been a, this has been a radio family, and you're part of it. And I love you, Sonia. Thank you for that. I really that means so much. I'm gonna I throw in one more call, Sonia. Thank you. Uh, stay healthy. Stay well. Joel in North York. What's up? Hey, I, no, I went. Uh, it was a little while ago, but um, I worked uh, worked in Toronto, and my job was ending. But I had an opportunity to go out to Vancouver for a restaurant concept. So I was uh, dating this girl at the time, and I said, yeah, let's do that, man. So I quit the one job, went out for the other, and I'm really glad I lived there, and uh, I really enjoyed Vancouver, and um, it was a good experience for me. So, But the difference was I'm not as old as you are, yes. and I think what you're doing is pretty cool. Uh, it, you are replaceable, but what sucks is it's going to take a long time to replace you. I and it. I love the idea. I listen to the radio for a good part of the day, and you're at a certain time slot. And now it sucks because now that time slot is going to be empty for quite a while. And um, I really, good luck on your new uh, endeavor, dude. Dude, I love it. And I love that you went to Vancouver. I love that you called me old. No, I'm just... <laughs> hey, I, I looked it up. You're, uh, I'm born in, I'm September and you're I'm, April. So we're yeah, the same age. Dude. Yeah, I love, we're not old, buddy. We're in our 50s, no, man. man. We're early 50s. Let's crush it and then keep going. Listen, Joel, but can I tell you something? I really appreciate the call. And it, it is something to take a move, right? Like you, you gotta you gotta get your energy back, and you gotta do it, and you mm. can't just sit around. I think it's never you're never too old to kind of throw it down. So thanks, Joel. I really appreciate the call, and and uh, thanks for for listening every day, Joel. And I appreciate it, and Sonia as well. And and look, I've got tons and tons. Please throw your number in so I can text you back. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, look, I'm gonna be off for two days, uh, probably praying uh, for. Lots of things, good health uh, for all of us. And then uh, I'll be back on Thursday. We'll have a good chance to say goodbye. Uh, I love you. I, I appreciate this more than you'll ever know. Um, so I'll see you soon.